Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Uh, today we're going to talk about McDonald's. Wow, you cut straight for the chase. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. How are you? What's going on? No, <laughs> originally this episode, we, we get to pick a topic every week. So last week you chose awards. Yeah, that's kind and of what's... This, this, yeah. this week I thought, let's talk about beauty. And then I kept thinking about, oh, how do you even talk about that? And then I watched this movie, The Founder, and I thought, oh, why don't we talk about McDonald's? And I think for you, probably, I was thinking McDonald's is like a, the most beautiful thing. <laughs> No, it's not. But uh, um, it, we, we can do another episode about beauty. Uh, there is a certain, maybe next. Well, anyway, week, I think like there is a certain beauty in McDonald's. Are we jumping right into this or? Do yeah, yeah. Why not? But it, it, maybe we can talk about the movie a little bit because that's what uh, mm. uh, started this topic. So uh, the movie is called The Founder with uh, what's his name? Ray Keaton. Oh, Michael Keaton. Right. Michael Keaton. Yeah, uh, the Batman. <laughs> And he plays Ray Kroc, who was not the founder of McDonald's, but later on says he said well, he was. Well, he's the founder of the McDonald's Corporation. Yeah, he's the he's the guy who made McDonald's big. Mm-hmm. There was the McDonald's brothers who had a burger restaurant that was very successful because their kitchen was so efficient. They had the so speedy they, system. Yeah, they. There was a lot of restaurants all over the U.S., and they were one of them. They had a lot of items on their menu. But they decided, we're spending so much time on fried chicken and barbecue, but most people just eat burgers. 80, so, yeah, 80% of consumers eat burgers. So. Yeah, so they decided, let's let's make everything efficient. They were obsessed with efficiency. And they said, okay, the menu is just burgers and Coke and fries or different sodas. Uh, things are, the, the kitchen is highly efficient in the sense that they thought of the where each person in the kitchen should be and how the items move from the grill to the sandwich and the ketchup and everything is optimized. Mm-hmm. And people love it because they order and they have the, their food in 30 seconds or a minute. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the was the success. That's the speedy and, system, yeah. Yeah. And Ray Kroc uh, was a milkshake salesman, a milkshake machine salesman, and he arrives there and he's like, wow, I love this restaurant. I love this burger. I love how fast it is. We should franchise. And the McDonald's brothers were like, well, we tried that, but we can't. The quality control is just difficult because other people started a speedy system burger restaurant, but then they, it, it turns into a mess. They start selling different menu items. <clears throat> and it's not really... So they were kind of like artists. They, they wanted the, the highest possible quality. Uh, mm. and they didn't care about volume. It's funny that you, you and, thought of them as artists because in a way... Do, do artists want the highest possible volume with no quality? It seems like the opposite. Or no, high quality, high volume is what you're saying, isn't it? Well, what I, what I mean is they were they were more product focused and Ray Kroc was more business focused. Mm. So they kept saying, no, it has to be perfect. Ah, uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, I didn't put that together, but they are. That That's true. They were like, they had, they had design. I thought of them as designers, like they designed this beautiful, elegant machine. Like in my day job, that's kind of like designing systems for productivity is like what I do as a design manager or design director now. But I get an extreme satisfaction out of like coordinating it such that like, like each person hands off the right thing at the right time in the right way. But there's, I I think for, for a business person, like when you think of something like Dell computers, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, why don't we, you know, we could make the laptop really thin, but it's going to cost so much and most people don't care. So, 
why don't we make it a little thicker and it'll be fine and we we just sell to large corporations and the uh, yeah but you know it's funny I, i'm saying i'm saying that the, the the person at the end of the chain adele cares more about uh financial efficiency than design efficiency yeah though dell has like great computers right now but uh, um you know what's funny about the mcdonald's story and that speedy system is that white castle was doing that 20 years before they were oh did okay. you know that <laughs> i've never had a white castle what before. What? Yeah, because I heard they give you diarrhea. They they call them sliders because they slide right out of you on the other end. No, I mean, you, first of all, it's hilarious because you can get a sack of fries. It's not just like a little container of fries. A sack of fries, and you get a whole briefcase full of burgers. So you've never had a White Castle burger? No, the, there was. There's no White Castle in Europe, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, but you're not in Europe. You're in uh, New York, and if you just like, <laughs> I, but it, it it seems that White Castle would be somewhere you go with a car. It's not in Manhattan. I, I never run ran into. There's one. tons, or there's not tons. There's a few I know about in Brooklyn. Um, actually, the only place I yeah, but who goes to Brooklyn? Uh, well, I, I mean, whenever I'm in New York, that's where I stay, <laughs> or I'm in Queens. I'm always within. <laughs> yeah. We obviously live two is a tale of two lives. I'm always like a couple blocks from a White Castle. And actually, I had the opportunity once to take, uh, I think he was a Dutch, actually. No, he might have been Danish. Uh, this guy that was just visiting New York for the first time. And he was like, a, we were at a creative coding conference. And, he, and I was like, let's have dinner together. And he's like, where do you want to go? It's Manhattan. And I was like, no, we're going to go to White Castle. I'm going to show you, I'm gonna mm. show you America. I mean, the, the first time I knew about White Castle was that movie that Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yeah, well, because it, it, I'd never heard of it before. And then people told me, I, I lived in L.A. for a while. And they're like, oh, no, don't go to White Castle. They'll slide right out of you. Yeah, well, so they have a reputation for being low quality and, and also potentially in poorer neighborhoods. Um, however, mm-hmm. you get like... A hundred hamburgers and a sack of fries. Those hamburgers are like steamed. There's barely anything on them, but there's something strangely satisfying. You can, like nowadays with a at a White Castle, you can get like five different flavors. You could do like a Mexican hamburger, like so you can mix it. It's mm. like donuts, really. Um, yeah. Anyway, so what's it, what's interesting here is that they were first to market. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Not because I'm a huge White yeah. Castle fan, but um, and White Castle actually still. You know, we're at McDonald's because I went, you know, we watched, I watched the film and then I went to a McDonald's to get the whole sensorial experience. And, um, and I, yeah, I had the same thing watching. There's a movie called Tampopo mm-hmm. uh, about ramen noodles in Japan. And it, it's kind of the opposite where it's all about perfection and not about volume. And after that, when you see that movie, you're like, oh boy, I want to eat some ramen. But then I watched the, the founder and I hadn't been to a McDonald's in so long and it's just, I felt like after a movie like that, you should go to a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. But just the thought of going to a McDonald's, it's... It, it, it's it, I don't know what McDonald's are. They're a bit calmer in Europe, but they're just really messy here, filled with loud people. Well, that's and, interesting. Because yeah. here... Um, I, so in Europe, you're, you're right. It's like you walk into a McDonald's and it's like... Uh, there's like... Ro- it's like a robot showroom in a way. <laughs> like there's like... Because a lot of European ones now, they have the touchscreens... Uh, yeah, they have that here now. Oh, do well, they? So. Yeah, and then, yeah. but there's never really that many people. Like it's like a civilized kind of. <laughs> I, I I feel like McDonald's is such a big topic. We should like we have to address it in chapters. Okay. So Let's, I don't know if we should start with history. Okay. So where are we right now? I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> well, we were talking about White Castle and being first to market. Yeah. I, I want to go back a little further because I have this. 
just like everybody nowadays, this Wikipedia obsession. And I, maybe two, three years ago, I, I don't know why, but I looked up the Wikipedia article on the hamburger and the history of the hamburger. Oh, okay, yeah, you're going way back. And so I, I'll, I'll let you give you a guess where the hamburger started. And it's not Hamburg, I guess. No, so it started in the army of Genghis Khan, and they would put a slab of beef. I think it's Geng- beef, Genghis Khan, by the way. Genghis Khan, and they would put a slab of beef under their saddle as they rode into battle on the horse. I thought horse. that was the story of beef jerky. I don't know. And at the end of the, the salt, day, right? the, the yeah, the sweat of the horse and all the movement would sort of cook the slab of yeah, beef. Yeah, cure it. Yeah, and then that moved to Germany, and then the German immigrants brought the sort of. It's not a sausage, but the, the idea of a patty, like a steak tartare, but fried. Okay. Yeah. They brought that to the U.S., okay. and then in the U.S., they were like, just slap some bread around it so I can walk and eat. I Yeah, so like the I get the, the Belgian... Did you say Belgian uh, steak tartare? Is that what you're saying? No, well, maybe, but the Germans would... Would, would uh, also do tartare? Uh, fry it. Yeah. Yeah, but they would but fry it. But even when you're in Belgium... They would grill even it. Even when you're in Belgium, they also... You can ask your steak tartare cooked, and then it's like a hamburger, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've heard the the Genghis Khan thing, but it was uh, for like it was like jerky. It was like the okay. first curing I guess, of meat. I guess beef treatment. But I yeah, can't imagine yeah. putting a like a. But it's such a rough idea putting it under your saddle well, so, and yeah, then if it's gra- killing a bunch of people and afterwards you're like <laughs> mm, my burger is cooked. Yeah, if it's ground beef too, it's like just all falling off the saddle. <laughs> it's all covered in dirt. Um, yeah, I don't think it some works. stories you, you just should accept and not think about them too much. They're like, okay, let's just go. Yeah, but it. like so it it's sounds like the the before the hamburger and so, some fast food restaurants refer to them as sandwiches still right it's the sandwich predates all of uh, well not Genghis Khan but I guess like uh, yeah the hamburger patty it, itself I think is what you're trying to get with the steak tartare yeah so the, the hamburger patty was before the US but in the US the whole idea of convenience and mm-hmm. being uh, productive all the time people are like oh let's put some bread around the patty because then I can walk and eat yeah now what I don't understand is like what you know the the standards well i do understand this so like the standards for cooking at the time that mcdonald's came around and if you think about white castle 20 years before were pretty so we're talking like early 50s. well they were pretty low and in the movie actually they bring up the issue of um the the biggest cost that they have is refrigeration right i don't know if you noticed that but that was like yeah there was a, but even a little bit before that he was he was going around the u.s and the 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 big thing was drive through through restaurants, mm-hmm. but you had to wait a long time, and and the waitresses would be on roller skates. And it was like a full was a whole, full dinner. Like it was a youth culture, a teenage culture around it with music, mm-hmm. and McDonald's got rid of all of that. It was called a car hop. Because, Wasn't it like car hops? Weren't those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they got rid of the jukebox because it just brought teenage delinquents, mm. and they got rid of the idea of cutlery and plates. It's just a paper bag uh, because. Yeah, efficiency. You know, that's actually one of the best parts of the the film is when they talk about like the decisions they made about what to take away. Actually, I really like that as a designer too. Yeah, like, and and people were really confused at first. They would drive in and be like, "Okay, where's my waitress?" Yeah, and no one would come, yeah. and they're like, "Well, just step out the door," and they're like, "No way!" And they would just drive off. I mean, we're, t- <laughs> we're literally describing the film. I wonder how true that was, but uh, the idea of like um, the just no cutlery and plates and things like that. I think that's very interesting to the history of food yeah. at that point. And also reducing a menu because everything, you would always think a business should have a lot of options and choice. That's and right. Customer is king. And so they only had one option, basically, uh, for hamburger and fries and, a, and this choice of drink, right? I mean, then you could, yeah. And then you could have a milkshake that was like part of this 
the whole thing like different uh anyway there's yeah. a, there's a whole bit of the movie about milkshakes for strange but 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 what's interesting is that there's there's um the McDonald's brothers themselves did not have the pretension we're masters at, at food and this is fine dining. So it was already about volume. But then Ray Kroc just wanted, he saw, he had a vision like this could be nationwide and later it became the first global food brand. Yeah, so the big innovation, we should just talk about the innovation, is like he actually struggled to make money off just royalties franchising. And so the big innovation and the reason McDonald's is the like the winning corporation it is today is that uh, Ray Kroc just, you know, met this guy at a, I don't know, in the movie they talk about him meeting at a bank. I'm actually, I have to fact check that. It just seems a little bit too easy. Truly really met somewhere. Um, and he said, no, you're not in the franchise business. You're in the real estate business. And so the innovation was, you know, franchisees used to come to him and say, like, I have a piece of land. I want to build a McDonald's. He'd be like, great. I'll take like 0.5% uh, and the McDonald's brothers will take another 1.4% or something of, of the profits. And that just wasn't working out. He wasn't covering his costs. So the innovation was uh, someone comes to you. He had he bought land and then he said, you can come to me and you can lease the land from me to build a McDonald's. But the only way you can have a McDonald's yeah. is if it's on my land and you. And it, that gave him more control also over the quality. So he, he could be more. Mm -hmm. That's right. He could uh, shut it down. He had power at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah which sounds like a negative, but it. it I'm really it's not negative. I mean, yeah, but the idea of like you need control sounds a bit uh, aggressive. Well, you need money but it's as also, well, right? it, But it's also an unbelievable feat to have food made around the world in all these different cultures, and it be exact. And I think the visionary thing was what he was experiencing as a salesman is it's really about trusting a brand, and I think that was new. Where yeah, you travel around the U.S., you don't have family everywhere. You, it, it goes back to that Yelp thing we were talking about. So there's something so powerful when you can ensure, okay, it's not the best food in the world, but you know what you're going to get, whether you're in Russia or in India or in Japan yeah. or it, everywhere, it'll taste exactly And it's not the really same. just the what it tastes like. It's how long it takes. It's the whole experience, yeah. right? It's like how you order. And it's, it's especially, I always experience these things when you're kind of vulnerable mm -hmm. Like you're sick while you're traveling. Like I remember being in Mexico and then it just having a stomach flu and and then things like your your iPhone and the McDonald's at that moment feel so safe and you're like, yeah, just give me that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, there's the there's something very deep about it where you grow up with mm -hmm. trusting that brand and the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the trust is what brands are all built on, right? And I think it it's really emblematic it's probably that's the success story in addition to the real estate thing is like <clears throat> having created this method of global it's the first kind of globalized brand right mcdonald's probably in a way well definitely it's definitely the first globalized restaurant chain yeah yeah i mean i'm trying to think of like other brands that might have been around trying to there's, there's other brands like the hilton where i think mm. americans would travel and they wanted the same comfort right but around the world right right that makes sense anyway um yeah. And and it's also funny the, the the negative side is that if you travel like that you're like I'll just go to the Hilton and the McDonald's mm -hmm. doesn't matter where you are just the weather's a little different but you don't really experience the local culture mm -hmm. and that's the downside of globalism is that it equalizes the world it's like you travel and you're like 
And art fairs have the same thing where you travel, you meet the same kind of people, you eat the same kind of food. Well, this is the thing that I was trying to figure out. So like I, I kind of went to bed last night thinking like, what if, what if I could just figure this out as a, <laughs> for the art world? <laughs> you know, like sometimes I'll be really excited to just like lay down and think about. The franchise model. <laughs> I'm the puppet master. <laughs> I had like a little Ray Kroc moment after it. And I always fall yeah. in love with these stupid entrepreneurial movies in a way. Like, it's a good movie, don't get me wrong. But I always fall in love with these kind of characters, even when they're doing, like, horrible, destructive things. Like, well, the, this movie and, and a lot of the entrepreneur movies now are kind of portraying them as both... You love them and you hate them at the same time. That's true. Time, they're, they're, the they are at least, like, somewhat, like, revealing some of the uh, yeah the faults in their personalities. Because it, it, it's really... The movie shows... The McDonald's brothers and the the struggle they had to to get their vision, mm-hmm. and it seems that seems very beautiful. They're like, okay, we're going to make this super efficient, and it's this American idea. Yeah, of, and we're not going to compromise uh, on quality, and you know, we're only going to grow yeah. sustainably. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Ray Kroc is like, he he just puts that vision on steroids, and he's like, well, we're losing all this money on refrigeration, so let's make milkshakes from powder instead of real milk because we'll save a lot of money and. Once you go down that road, yeah, you don't care about the quality anymore. But you know, you must know that, like, so we're still if we're still in history, McDonald's almost went uh, bankrupt uh, in the nineteen eighties or nineties rather. Uh, are you aware of this? No, I didn't. In know. the nineties, McDonald's like was losing money. So I think we all think of McDonald's as this really profitable company. Also, in twenty fifteen, they started their growth was slow. Mm-hmm. Well, the nineties was a huge crisis because they uh, there was a new CEO. I can't remember his name, but they um, overexpanded into oh. uh not just uh i think starbucks has globally but problem. yeah starbucks probably does have the same problem uh, but in the american market and they overexpanded in quality this is what the irony of the brothers the McDonald's, original mcdonald brothers is that the quality took a huge dive and it was funny to hear you say that the new york mcdonald's was like dirty and chaotic and because that was the problem in the 90s and so mcdonald's built this mm-hmm. rep- the reputation of quality was lost and that's why over the last I don't know, 15 or 20 years, you might have seen like the concept, the McCafe concept and all these things that seem contradictory to that original like speedy model. Like, what can we take away? They started to add things back in. But what they were trying to add back in was this, the illusion within the brand of it being a high quality product for a low price. Mind you, I don't find it cheap at all. It's like I went and Kristen and I had just like two meals and it was like $25 yesterday Uh, (laughs) in Canada. Like (laughs) Canada, McDonald's is actually like I could go and have like like I could go to an independent restaurant and have like kind of like like an emerging chef cook something really interesting for me. And it would be about the same price. Yeah, I don't. But for me, the movie and McDonald's itself, it's all about ambition. Mm -hmm. And, and it's this funny thing where we it goes back to the previous episode where we're talking about awards. There's all kinds of awards for all kinds of achievements. Mm-hmm. There's not many awards for things that are hard to measure. So you don't get an award for just being fun to be around. Like, oh, this person is so fun to be. Or this person is so nice. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the, the great mom award or something. Like, how do you measure that? Or like the great Well, they always had like, the, the way award. they measured it was, and this is a part of the film that I really liked as well, especially in, this, I know this is not the political podcast, but in this political climate is that by... Uh, by by counting the by counting themselves by their customers by ma- being customer oriented, um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know which is actually fundamental to any successful business. But one of the things that they did is they made that their customers the owners, right? So that was the part of the movie they kind of skipped over. Ray Kroc's like genius moment where he realized that rich people 
who were running his franchises didn't care about the quality of the customer. Yeah, so he first started franchising through his friends at the country club and by playing golf, but they had nothing to lose. They already made their money. They're like, oh, I don't want to work a lot. I just want to put my money somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then later he started uh, targeting younger people, young parents who really needed to survive and who were all about family. Yeah, not only that, those are the people that were most likely to eat there. And so they cared about yeah. it because they cared about the people that were coming there. And so there was just a general like community aspect to it, right? It was the American yeah. dream yeah. on display. Um, you know, led by the people the American dream was built for. And that's a very, like, infectious idea. That's Yeah, but, but to me it's interesting, the, the, the idea of tying mass distribution and volume and speed to food. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Like it, it just simply it simply results in bad food. But you know, I mean, I would I would argue that at that time again, people weren't used to good food in America because there wasn't refrigeration. Um, often, like I wonder. No, though, no. There, yeah, if I, you look, like there's. I mean, if you were running a, if maybe if you're in a farm situation, or you're like, maybe in California, which is ironic because that's where McDonald's started. You'd have access to bountiful fresh food, but much of America, outside of the summer months only had access to like you know cellar to canned cellar food yeah canned goods and then the big revolution was refrigeration and then they finally had access to frozen yeah. food and frozen dinners and then well it's it's funny it's this big contradiction of like yeah people used to starve and we don't even remember mm-hmm. that so th- it, that's why they came up with canned goods like people really st- used to starve but then you're at this point where uh, no, but mass manufacture. The industry yeah. comes so good at, at, at preserving things and processing food that you start thinking, "Well, this is this is killing people." Yeah, as the well. su- but the supply chains and the distribution networks didn't exist then for what we yeah. now take for granted. And so, you know, yeah. one, an interesting fact is McDonald's was doing fresh patties. I don't know if you noticed in that movie, mm-hmm. but they la- they went to frozen patties for the last fifty or sixty years. Th- just yeah. this year, they're reintroducing. Uh, like fresh beef patties. I feel like I'm in a McDonald's ad, but like because the distribution of fresh meat <clears throat> is really it's, it's so much easier it, now. Yeah, it's easier now, but it, it's been hard for the last sixty years, right? We're like we're still well now. They've been now they're competing with Shake Shack and the places. Well, like Shake Shack that. came along and they showed you could do fresh ingredients at the same price yeah. point and the same service and the same quality consistency. Remember, it's consistently, and that was the milkshake part of the story too that they alluded to, right? Like. Yeah. The refrigeration costs of the but, the ice cream are too high, so we'll do powder. It, it's always the same. It's the exact same formula. It's interesting to me the idea of the the restaurateur as an as someone focused on the food and, and not about scale. So I don't know if I mentioned this, but there was a TV show in Japan where they would ask cab drivers late at night, "What's your favorite restaurant to go to?" And they would take you to the, all these hidden places and. Uh, of course, food in Japan is amazing. So they, they would go to hidden restaurants that nobody knew about. And immediately, if they would feature one of the restaurants, there would be a line of people for a mm. year. And at some point, all the restaurateurs were like, no, please don't come to my restaurant. I don't want to have a big line. I just want to continue making this great food for a few people. And you know what's great, though? I think you're alluding to one of the things that we kind of glanced at, but like I still think is incredibly important to brands, but also to artists. And what McDonald's did incredibly well, um, you, we mentioned it earlier, which is reducing the number of things you do so that you do one thing better than anyone you else. you do it well. Yeah, better yeah, than anyone yeah, else. Yeah. The fries are exactly But that's what perfect. McDonald's lost now. Eh? Well, 
I mean, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think so. I think they're downsizing their menu again. Their menu is incredibly confusing items. when I'm... Yeah, I remember actually yeah. that you're right. They don't have pizza and salads and things like muddy, muddying up the menu anymore. But you can't be all things to all people, right? Because then you lose yeah. kind of the focus. But this idea of, of, of growth is so deeply um, embedded in all all of us. And what I, what I was trying to get mm-hmm. at is that you can measure growth it's it's much harder to measure taste so if you're like no i'm just making these three menu items for five people a day and i'm happy yeah uh that's it's hard to measure like oh this broth tastes so good Uh, whereas i'm moving more and more units i'm moving more units than last year and i'm moving more units than the year before Mm -hmm. it's a very human uh psychological trait to just be focused on things you can measure and, and I see think hier- hierarchically and think like, okay, this year is better than last but year. But it's not just um, what you measure, it's like how you measure. So like one example that I can cite from, it's another capitalist example. <laughs> I mean, I think the listeners are going to start to get me the idea that I'm like this latent, <laughs> horrible pig-like capitalist. But like the Japanese were the first to figure out um, efficiencies in quality. The efficiency and quality go hand in hand, right? In But in, mm-hmm. in automotive manufacturing. In car manufacturing. Yeah, car manufacturing. The Kaizen system that was introduced mm-hmm. in Japan in the 1970s and 80s as a response to a public image problem. Is that the system where they stop the whole production line, even if there's just a tiny mistake? That's one part of the system. Really, though, what's most important to understand about that the system is that it's a bottom-up system instead of a top-down quality control system. And so what you're doing is you're building quality into everyone's job. You know, previously, if you went to like an automotive plant um, in Japan or the United States, there would be like a foreman or someone in charge of the plant. And they would sort of sit in a in a booth looking down over everything. And they would be looking for like, what's going wrong? Like, And they'd get to the end of the line and they'd look at the quality of the thing, be like, not good enough, restart or whatever. And what the Japanese found was if we put each person on the line in charge of quality at their point in the line, then we can ensure that at any point in the line where something goes wrong, we can find the root cause. And so it would be not just stopping the line, but then they invented the system of five whys. So you could ask, you know, what went wrong? And you'd ask why five times, and usually you'd get back to the root cause. And this root cause analysis allowed the Japanese to like figure out, um, you know, just the, all of the little things. Like you saw that in the McDonald's movie, right? Like sometimes uh, there's this point in the movie where, in the founder rather, uh, where they're tracing the manufacturing of the burgers out on like a tennis court, right? And they're like drawing the chalk outlines and, and, and then they're like performing the act of making hamburgers and they see like, oh, people are running into each other here. If we did, if we move that there, they iterated on that system, right? Um, they rehearsed it. They rehearsed getting better and better at the production. The Japanese are the first to build that into but, manufacturing. But again, again, they're, they're measuring things that are easy to measure. They're, they're measuring things like, okay, we cooked that many burgers. No, well, the, the measurement, I mean, in the Japanese case, the measurement was just quality. You know, for 30 years, like the American manufacturer, auto manufacturers just couldn't believe. They thought, oh, it's something about how the Japanese people are. They, they actually said it was cultural. That there's a, it's impossible for an American to make a great car. And it wasn't until the Japanese um, opened plants in the United States with American workers that the Americans were like, oh, the Japanese, it's not just cultural. It's not just that they're like, they have this great slave labor. <laughs> it's that the, the way they, they make things, the philosophy that they have for making things, this bottom-up system, actually results in a better product. So the Japanese, um, so auto manufacturing might not sound like it has anything to do with food, but 
really what we're talking about is capitalist production and the idea of yeah but what I, what is interesting to me is the idea that uh, scale makes a lot of sense for things like cars mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense to me for food scale makes yeah so I mean because you, you don't want to have an artisanal car manufacturer who just makes two cars a year and then how are you going to do safety control on that? Uh, you don't want to have an artisanal chip designer who just d- makes a chip, a computer chip for I you. I mean, you say that, but uh, here's here's the struggle I have. And it, it might sound like, Jeremy, how could you... Because su- like, the movement is towards like fresh food from a local farm and also, you know, or make it at home and, you know, get the right ingredients and organic and da-da-da-da. Well, at least... F- at least fresh food and at least cooking yourself. I just don't believe. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that people miss in that equation is that we most of the world's land is used for food production currently. Like, and there's mm-hmm. been various farming innovations that allowed us to do this. Like the biggest one I'm sure you know about is like fertilizer, right? Prior to there being uh, fertilizer that we could use uh, to like grow crops without the, because otherwise the crops would go like uh, what do they call it? Um, they wouldn't be able to, uh, what's the term? Anyway, you couldn't grow more than for a few years. You had to rotate your crops because there yeah. wouldn't be enough nitrogen or whatever in the soil, nutrients. And actually there was there were wars fought over guano, like, uh, like poo from birds uh, mm, that they mm-hmm. would use to fertilize fields in America. And it wasn't until they, they found, there was a scientific uh, sort of process for built, for making artificial fertilizer that we really got the gains that we have now. But if you think of the world's population and you care at all about people being fed, you know, there are local ways, obviously, to sustain. No, I, I, I understand that you can't feed 7 billion people with small organic farms. Well, like, not only, not only that, that, but, but like, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between uh, going to like there's a big difference between an Italian bistro that can feed a lot of people. A, a French bistro that feeds people and mm. has their own recipes and if you go a few miles and they might use the same flour and they might use the same butter but it's a little bit different everywhere and this sort of standardized model well, the thing is in America um, like mo- like there are these areas of <clears throat> cities especially where um, poorer families actually can't afford anything other than fast food now I'm not saying that the fast food yeah. should be it's cheaper to buy fast food than it is to buy food, groceries, and cook it yourself. That's just the truth yeah. in America in, in, in various uh, neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods, these so-called food deserts where people just, there's no profit in it from the grocery store standpoint, apparently, or that's what they'll say, right? And so there there is a real politic to fast food that I find interesting, right? Like there's, um, there's the, the fact that it, it did provide some kind of sustainable, like, like some way to eat just to sustain one's life <laughs> you know like if you were to gra- <laughs> like take fast food out of america tomorrow it and and not replace it with healthy um food at a low price then you would have uh, a famine on your hands which i think is like a weird you know it's very easy for me to say like i'm having my kale smoothie and my quinoa is from peru or whatever and you're you know you're you have the disposable income to do that but yeah but what i mean what i mean more is it, it maybe it's an interesting it does get political mm. but it's an interesting turn of history where uh, people came from a lot of different countries to the U.S. with their own food cultures. Yeah. But maybe it was such a struggle to survive they just didn't have the time to hold on to their food culture. It's no, one of the wonderful... I don't know what the reason is, yeah. but there's, there's people coming from China and Italy and all these places with amazing food traditions, but they're kind of detached from their original food culture and they don't have the same products. So there's, there's something that... I, I just know that when people... 
poor people in in Italy or in Japan will still eat better than poor people in the U.S. Yeah, but they're close to the food production, right? Where the farm, right? Yeah. So I, it, there's no no replacement for being near where the food is grown. And actually, some of the coolest things I've seen. But like, I live in Canada, right? So without uh, <laughs> like food distribution or food like the econ- economics of food, we wouldn't have fresh food here or local ingredients would be hard to come by. Mm-hmm. And we could, of course, I could eat potatoes all winter and beets and things like that. And, and generally, I kind of try to do that. But every once in a while, you're craving like a fresh vegetable. You know, there's five months of the year where that's not possible. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, people would have pickled vegetables and chutneys and things like that. Yeah, I feel like we've drifted far from... Uh, art, but yeah. like it, it is. <laughs> Let's go back to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like a technology. But I, 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 what's interesting to me about McDonald's is this idea of skill and growth at all costs. Mm-hmm. So okay, I know that the powdered milkshake doesn't taste as good, but we'll be able to feed many more people, and we'll be able to have a bigger profit. And there's something in the art world also that I know that art fairs are not the ideal place to see art, but people can see a lot of art in one day mm. uh, people can meet each other and then that starts to become the dominant force um, it, 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 it becomes a racket where if you're not in it you're mm-hmm. invisible um, the, the crazy I didn't think so about there, that but you're right that's kind of the franchise model right like you can you can yeah. have the, even the real estate piece like a booth it's the real estate thing mm-hmm. because the, uh, what people might not know is that most galleries either break even or even lose money on art fairs because the rent is so high like it a small booth at the Armory is $30,000 for like four days. Here's what I've always thought is like... That's a very small booth. And yeah, No, I was, you know, real estate and art go hand in hand. And I've always thought like, why don't galleries, and I know why kind of, but why don't they buy property or collectively purchase property? Because they're always ahead of the curve of gentrification. The the gentrification. Yeah, especially here in Toronto too. Like there's like lots of small small galleries and then they always are in this crisis of real estate they're always in a real estate crisis now and it, it leads i'm like at some point and I, and I did eventually find people that believe this too that they that art galleries should become real estate companies um mm-hmm. well i think the big ones are but what's interesting is that it's the same question of growth where you could be like okay we'll just be a small gallery we have one location mm-hmm. But then your artists start to walk away because they're like, well, I want to have the bigger distribution. So it, it mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's the exact same thing of like, it, it, it's the tragedy of efficiency where things are a certain way. You find out a trick to make it easier. Mm-hmm. But then you start using that trick and then everybody starts using that trick. And if you don't use that trick, you're actually slow. So, I mean, I wanted to talk about this the whole time, but I think now is the time, which is that, you know, the internet comes along and we've talked about this many times on the podcast and really from a distribution standpoint or a franchising standpoint, it, it blows everything out of the water, like zero real estate yeah. costs. Yeah. The, the cost of scaling is, is hardly compared to old old economy it's like scaling a startup is is so small compared to s- scaling a car yeah factory. so com- yeah so it's funny too like so com- obviously like startups were aware took advantage of that right but certain am- and 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 they have models that are built actually on the you know japanese manufacturing systems but then they applied that to software and they got this hyper accelerated growth just because there's no there's no mechanical friction there's no physical friction to growth on the internet 
However, um, no. artists... A little bit of service, but... Service. Yeah, but, like, most yeah. of that stuff now, it's crazy. Like, with... Um, you just buy the... You just rent... Yeah, the yeah, like, Amazon lets you scale up a server in a second. Like, seconds, right? Like, you can have dynamic load. Mm. You could you could just scale up, like, I've got ten instances, yeah, five shards. Hit yeah, a button. Yeah. Now, uh, like, actually, probably all of my developer friends are, like, moaning, like, Jeremy, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> but it's, like, compared to, like, starting, a fr- like, a physical restaurant in every city in America, it's pretty easy to open shop mm-hmm. across, not just in America, but all over the world but in it, one it, click. This this sort of software scaling is also very, um, it, what's the word, like, someone can be tired of Gmail and switch to something else very the quickly. The switching costs too. are lower, Quicker, yeah. And I yeah. kept thinking of that, about that during this McDonald's thing, too, because, like, there are all these other franchises that have come up. You know, I mentioned White Castle at the outset, but there's, of course, like, Five Guys and, like, Shake Shack. And it seems like every week there's, like, a new burger brand. Like, I've never seen more pressure on burgers, especially. Actually, yesterday I was walking uh, downtown Toronto, and Kristen and I walked by, like, a poster, like, a, like you know, like a sandwich board outside a restaurant. It said... Why have p- it was for another hamburger restaurant? I was like, why have pizza when you could have a burger or something like that? <laughs> it's like, oh, there's only two choices: pizza and yeah. burgers, right? Like, um, but you know, it, which kind of speaks to how food has a you know kind of is still in this this fast food kind of race. But it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we live in our bubble. I I don't know if people outside of it still think of McDonald's as like the greatest thing ever, but it, I feel like. Capitalism is starting to, this kind of large-scale thinking is starting to lose PR value where people are like, I don't know if it's so good to always grow into huge conglomerates. No, of course. Of course. So the general trend right now is... But it seemed that in the 50s that was really, we're bringing freedom to the world. And there's a law that actually didn't turn out to be true, but the law that any country that has a McDonald's will not go to war with Mm -hmm. each other. That was for a long time. That was so. It was really the Hilton and all this. It was like we're bring we're a force of good and we're bringing freedom and yeah. we're, we're bringing opportunities to people. We're feeding people, and I think it has a very different flavor now. Like yeah, I mean it's perception. mostly tied to greed. So and, and the same thing is true in the startup world. Like you know, software found yeah. In the beginning, it was more optimistic. It's like oh, we're going to bring knowledge to everybody. Yeah, it's crazy too because in software, I'm hearing like every week like a greater drumbeat towards like sustainable growth not hyper growth like this like you know the ego the bro kind of like super hyper growth mm. culture is really starting to get you know yeah so the growth question is very interesting mm-hmm. to me because we're so far past survival mm-hmm. because in the beginning it's like we have to we have to can these vegetables or we will die yes and and later on it becomes about quality of life it's like no we need to put better vegetables in the cans. Oh, no, actually, we should have frozen food. It's better than cans. Oh, actually, we should have fresh food. Mm-hmm. It's better than frozen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, but so, I mean, the same thing might be true um, about the Internet. Like, at first, it was like having email. <laughs> it's like Just having a just connection. Having yeah. it, right? And then it was like... My, my, my uncle was very early on the Internet. He said... It was very rude at the time if you would reply and you wouldn't delete the original quotes of the email because it would take so long to download the email. <laughs> really? It's like, I can't believe you left the whole thread in the email. It's so he's rude. such a purist. I love it. I love it if he maintains that. Like, he's still, yeah. you know, because actually a fast-loading website, certain people still, like, ooh, really appreciate that. <laughs> I had some... Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, fast-loading websites, that's it for, for e-commerce. That's uh, Well, it actually affects your Google score, your... um. 
No, but it also thing. affects the sales. Mm -hmm. If if a site is not loading on mobile, you're like, uh, no, I don't really need these. Right, and I think it's mind. two seconds is the absolute limit people are willing to wait. But which is funny yeah. because of the McDonald's uh, original thirty the second prompt. The speedy system was a thirty second promise. I wouldn't wait thirty seconds for a website to load. <laughs> it's gotta be instantaneous. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm in I'm in favor of of technology and mass distribution for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I love Amazon and I love. Google and all these things that are fast. I just, I just think it results in terrible food when you try to make food really quickly. But is the same true in regards to? Like, I, I don't even like the idea of, of food delivery of seamless because I think the distance from the kitchen, yeah. the time from the kitchen to your mouth is just so long that it, a lot of things are I mean, lost. But it, the, I yeah. mean, but is the same true of? Um, Artists like is Damien Hirst dot is that a dot painting that you're describing or is that like an Ankawara, like day? yeah it's it's funny because Andy Warhol uh, sort of addressed the whole issue of like I'm not going to touch the painting it's a mechanical painting mm -hmm. it's uh, we're, we're using silk screening and uh, have you ever seen uh, have you ever seen the video of Andy Warhol eating a hamburger just just because yeah, we need yeah, to get it we need to one. get that into the show <laughs> so I gotta say that. yeah for sure so he he addressed everything and it's like I'm gonna make uh, I'm going to mass manufacture art just like food is mass manufactured. It resulted in a very interesting way of making art that didn't exist before. And, but really, the art is not great. I always, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to say, but to me, to me, pop art. To me, pop art. If if you look at it from that point of view, when you think of mass distribution mm -hmm. of art, that's what cinema is, that and video games. So. It, Andy Warhol's paintings are yeah, distributed. Yeah. There, there are a lot of them, but they're not as distributed as Superman. But that's why movies. I would call them like an illustration of a concept. Whereas like you, yeah. what you're talking yeah. about at film distribution is like the actual engagement of that or execution of that concept uh, yeah. on a massive scale. But It's a comment on the concept and the other one is the... Con the yeah, the, the actual, actual concept yeah. itself. I just wonder where uh, if things are going back towards like I mean there's usually cycles and there's a lot of people have written on this of cycles of authenticity and then uh, scale or mass manufacture like so you know you get back but it's also maybe a class difference where, well don't forget like after uh, the industrial if you can afford fresh food then you're like oh I snob yeah but outside of food even like you know after the industrial revolution um, there was a return to like the arts and crafts movement and you know furniture being handmade and like um, you know like architecture being like each you know piece was unique and so you could you could kind of see now that you know there's like that would be an interesting solution to the automation of everything if 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 everything's automated and robots are running everything then maybe we should have handmade furniture well you do see that and i think like one of the the make maker culture right now is is emblematic of that which is like oh don't buy Why is the word maker culture so cringe i know i'm sorry but it's like don't buy <laughs> don't buy a radio like make your own radio it's funny i met this guy yeah. a few years ago he was interviewing uh her job that i had up and he had just he had he had sold his company or to facebook and he started his own company his new company where they would like make they, they were going to allow you to log on like as a website and you could make your own electronics on the website and have them shipped to you so you could customize like the way your bluetooth speaker looked and and like it could have extra functions i don't know like e-cigarette functions or something but you could like kind of assemble your own customize your own electronics and i think i brought this up before that you have these waves of um customization mm -hmm. or yeah but those things are so, still so niche that they don't really have an impact if you would Look at it from an anthropological, no, like if, mass economic scale. If there's a binary, which is like make it yourself or 
have a million of something available for you to just procure, like, you know, industrial manufacturer versus bespoke individualization, homebrew, home yeah. Uh, and we're in a homebrew cycle. You still, there are certain efficiencies that, and that's where I think we talked about this in our 3D printing episode. Like that was the, why people got so excited about 3D printing. And, but it didn't work out because it was not a good tool, you know, like it, it actually did not fulfill the promise, right? There's other things that are going to be necessary for that to happen. Like it's, you know, like a, a like a crappy um, plastic model does not replace an injection mold uh, yeah. and, and tooling and like aluminum being... <laughs> but the, yeah, there's something very modernistic about, okay, we live in an industrial age, let's make the best of, out of it. So let's what what's the best food we could make the fastest that, that everybody will like? Mm-hmm. It, it will be one recipe, but 99% of people will love it. Yeah, it's the Bauhaus of food. Yeah. That's what McDonald's is. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, I just don't think that people really give it respect for what it is. Like, it's a, it's a no, beautiful no, but design. That's, because I, I, I've been complaining about food and mass distribution, but I want to look at it for a second from the, just the enjoyment point mm-hmm. of view. Obviously, McDonald's tastes good. Otherwise, it, it would not be at the scale that mm-hmm. it is. It's not just the price. So we can agree. Yeah, the fries are the best in the world. It's delicious. They, like beat, they but, beat the French at fries. I, <laughs> it's funny like um i grew up with the uh, sort of hippie parents health food uh, macrobiotic and uh, i think the first time i had an ice cream it was a friend of my mom's in in brazil and she <laughs> she was babysitting me sort of and he's like don't tell your parents i'm gonna give you ice cream <laughs> and uh, yeah <laughs> but i remember mcdonald's coming to the netherlands and like the first kids in school bringing the toys that came with the Happy mm-hmm. Meal, and they were like, oh, whoa, what's that? That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And so, the, uh, Yeah, I used to, my pe- my parents would just get the did toys. Did you love McDonald's from the no, start? No, I wasn't, you, allo- you I wasn't allowed to eat it. My parents would like, we'd, we'd want the toys, so they'd stop, and they'd go to the McDonald's, and they'd buy the meals, but they would just bring the toys out, and they'd like throw the food yeah. away or give it back to the restaurant. But, but because I was thinking about it, okay, we can agree it tastes good. Like mm-hmm. it, it's engineered. They've they've nailed it down. They have an R and D department. They know exactly what most people like. Mm-hmm. So we can agree it's delicious. And then most people will say it's unhealthy. But there's a lot of food in in many cultures that's unhealthy, like birthday cakes or uh, hot dogs. Or it, I think every country has like their New Year's Eve food that's like. Mm-hmm fried dough or whatever so it's okay to have unhealthy food as a treat so it just becomes weird when you eat it every day i don't eat it every day though (laughs) i mean but yeah some people have but i mean some people are a lot of yeah some people are forced to that's what i was saying earlier i mean and that's where it gets crazy yeah Yeah. it is crazy and you know i mean the idea in america though of course there's lots of competition and competition brings choice and um, whether or not that's true. I mean, in a city, I think it's definitely true. Well, competition also brings down... Uh, it. Like, when you apply efficiency to food, then you can go to the limits of the law and say, like, how many preservatives can we put in it? Yeah, I mean, but... It, so I live in Toronto, and there's, like, a, a ridiculous number of restaurants. Like, within 10 minutes of my house, there are, like, a thousand different restaurants, and there's at least a hundred different, like, countries or nations or styles represented. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, probably very similar for you in... So every continent yeah, in the like, world... Yeah, like, I can have whatever I want, whenever I want. And, and, and if I don't want to actually walk... 10 minutes which 
for some reason, you know, I was talking. Yeah, well, it might be snowing. Yeah, then I can open an app and I can have that thing in 30 minutes delivered to me. And usually it's at less the cost, like less than the cost of me going and like buying the ingredients myself. I still mm-hmm. choose to cook myself because I get this pure enjoyment out of it. Well, no, but I, I there's this funny thing in, in New York as well where you can eat so cheaply and so such a variety that doesn't make sense to cook but i realized that if you cook every day it's very different than when you go and buy the ingredients for one meal you think it's really expensive but when you cook every day oh i have some carrots left over yeah uh, i have a bit of this oil i have some lemon and i'll put them in the oven and it, it starts to get really cheap when you cook every day yeah and i do cook every day actually so i probably eat out once a week um though i eat out at lunch every day uh but uh I love cooking as an artist. It's funny, like, I think of it as a creative act. And I don't know if you think this way, too. I know you have certain rituals for... Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah. I put, like, tons of effort into, like, plating as well, like, visually. Like, I'll, I'll, I shop for color and for flavor. But mm-hmm. Kristen, Kristen tells me that, like... Well, there's some... My, my parents always taught me that a meal should have a lot of color contrast. And that's a sign that there's many different nutrients. So you don't want to have cauliflower with cottage cheese and white rice right, it's right. not a balanced meal <laughs> mind you i have purple cauliflower in the fridge right now but anyway like kristen well, will sit go. down and she'll yeah. like she'll, she'll be like wow this looks beautiful jeremy but then like two seconds later it's gone <laughs> whatever and then when yeah, i see it's her it's funny co- when you're by yourself and you you cook for an hour and a half and then you just eat with youtube in front of you and it's <laughs> seven minutes <laughs> but yeah actually cooking for her makes for me i invest a lot more energy just in getting that reward like oh it looks beautiful yeah mind you when i've seen her cook but, for but herself how, it's terrible uh, when when was it because we both went to mcdonald's yesterday to yeah. do a field recording but uh, when, when was the last time before that that you went to McDonald's? Uh, well, so Kristen, my partner, uh, she loves McDonald's. It was part of our sort of marital vows that I had to accept <laughs> that she could eat at McDonald's without me guilt tripping her. Because normally you tell you, you tell someone, oh, I like McDonald's, and they sneer at you. Certainly in like academic or art circles, they'd be like, oh, McDonald's, right? Like, Or at least, yeah. you know, maybe it's a little bit better now because there's so many fast Yeah, because if someone says, I love Shake Shack, you wouldn't sneer at it. Like, yeah, oh, that's why I'm saying I think something's changed in people's heads but there was a time where that was like oh how revolting (laughs) (laughs) or if they serve mcdonald's be like boho chic or something like at an opening they might well if if someone is like fox news is is my favorite tv show you would have a hard time marrying that person yeah so there's like some kind of crass revulsion that people (laughs) the thought of you eating mcdonald's how how could you do such a thing Uh, (laughs) so but Kristen was very uh, uh persuasive yeah, she was like, it's just good food. And she has like a Kristen special, which consists of like a Big Mac and like fries with sweet, and she dips them in sweet and sour sauce and then has that with a, a McFlurry. <laughs> anyway, like she yeah. has a whole performance that she puts on for her like ritual that is McDonald's. But actually, I, you know, she sort of showed me that, uh, you know, it's good. It's like good food that you can have every once in a while. And it's not like, I, 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 like when, I used to agree. Yeah. I used to. I went to McDonald's yesterday. The fries were all white and soggy. They I were think, undercooked. So you went to a canal on Canal Street. You'd think that that would be yeah, the best one in the world. Yeah, busy. It, should that? They, should, you would think so. What, where? No, it was depressing. Really? I wanted to sit down to have the fries. I wanted to do the whole ritual, and it was too busy to even sit down. And I walked out with the fries. And you know when you hold a fry and it just bends down, yeah. the opposite of a boner. It's like, not that I'm looking for uh, yeah, virile maybe it was a, fries. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a bad day. But there's there's this comedian, uh, Jim Gaffigan, and he, he jokes a lot about food. And he says, 
no mother can cook as good as McDonald's fries. There's, you can say your mom is a good cook, <laughs> but nobody can make something as delicious and they as let McDonald's you down. fries. My fries were excellent. And then the, he, he, yeah, so I, I watched that bit a few times. So I was excited. Yeah, I will have the fries. At least those are good. I'm t- oh. so I, there's a there's a website you can go to about McDonald's hacks. Like different there's different things you can do to get like yeah. the best food at McDonald's from employees. They post these things, and one of the things you can do uh, is first of all like customize your order in any way. So like say like hey hold the pickles or something like that, because then they have mm-hmm. to cook it fresh from scratch. The other thing oh, is you want to go to a McDonald's yeah. normally, and this is what's surprising about your experience, where there's high turnover because the fries will turn be cooked fresh each yeah. time. But you can actually yeah. ask yeah. them for fresh fries, and they have to oblige. Uh, so, like, you can wait. Yeah. I, I, to me, it's a bit like I try to eat healthy all the time, and then once a week you can have mm-hmm. something unhealthy. Yeah. Or less healthy. It's actually not that unhealthy, got, though. One thing is that, like, yeah. They, but then if I decide to have a burger, then I'd rather have something nice, like uh, something. Oh, I see. Uh, a better, a, a thicker patty, sure. and a, not fast. Food. The thing that's yeah. not healthy about McDonald's, I'm sure you know, is the soda, like pop. So I'm not sure what region, whatever, where, whatever region of America you're from, either soda <laughs> or pop or soda pop. Uh, it's it's uh, the least healthy thing you can have there, right? But the actual yeah. hamburger is pretty good for you, uh, generally speaking. It's like there's no, they use uh-huh. organic produce. Uh, the beef is like uh, comes from good farms. You're such a positive guy. This episode, did, no, nice. but did you also know that? <laughs> I know it's like you wouldn't expect this. They they are one of the largest um, purchasers of organic food. They also like recycle and compost. Uh, on a scale that no other uh, company does. Yeah, yeah. When when a company like McDonald's makes a choice like that, it, it's very different from you putting uh, your cans in the recycling. Now, bin. of course, there's That's like there's tons of controversy. Scale. You know, especially you might have remembered the like pink sludge uh, McNugget thing, like from a few years ago. Um, no, oh, well, that's what led the, instead of chicken. They used they had like, yeah, food. like th- I think meat and meat production. I'm sure there's going to be people commenting is like horrible in America and we could go there. We could do a whole <laughs> the horrors of meat there's production. Different, there's different laws in different countries. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and even in America, different states. And anyway, but uh, yeah, that f- they they get a lot of social pressure. Right. So then they have to react. And I think they reacted by like now it's like fresh, organic uh <laughs> Uh, b- chicken breast and all. <laughs> but if, if if you let's say that if you are in an airport and you have three hours yeah. uh, on a connecting flight, mm-hmm. there's usually a McDonald's at an airport, but there might also be sort of a sports bar, and there might also be like, like all, all yeah, like a, a healthy sort of salad yeah. bar kind of place, and there might be a sushi stand and yeah. How often at an airport do you pick the McDonald's? Um, well, in Canada, if it's a, well, that's true. I'm not. It, how often will I choose them? So if I'm traveling in Europe, I always choose a Pret a Manger. <laughs> if I'm in Canada, mm-hmm. I would choose the Tim Hortons. That's like our equivalent of. Isn't Pret a Manger? It's a McDonald's it's a brand. Place, yeah, right? but Pret, but it's McDonald's it's owned. McDonald's yeah. Owned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they own a few restaurants. Yeah, but that's. What but uh, yeah, airports are funny because you obviously. There's less choice than. But in, in an airport, I never situation. trust that independent place. <laughs> it's just no, exactly. It's a weird thing yeah. because I've had a few bad experiences where it's like, that's that here's your forty dollar like, burger, okay, Jeremy. Yeah, I don't know. It, McDonald's, McDonald's is not amazing, but you'll know exactly what you. And get. you know, you aren't going to be like sort of uh, ripped off. Like there's a there's a yeah. one of our like star chefs in Toronto, uh, Susser Lee is his name. He has a restaurant at our airport. 
And it, I don't know if you've noticed this trend in airports towards like luxury restaurants. Like it'll be like, um, you know, like what, whoever was on Top Chef last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's that that German guy that's in every, <laughs> always on everything? What's his <laughs> name? Uh, anyway, I'll remember put in the show notes. But like, it, anyway, Suser has a restaurant and it's like you and it's like dim sum at the airport. And like I've gone there twice now because I'm like, OK, I got to give them a second shot. The first time, though, it was just like it was so expensive and uh, the di- it was so mediocre. But, like the restaurant was so shabby because it's an airport, right? So like the table was like scratched up. And there's like dirt on everything. And you're just like, I don't. This is not a fine dining experience. Like you, like no. he had really made a mistake. Like with his brand, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And I went back a second time, and it still looked shabby. But the food, I, I tried something else, and it was pretty. It was b- better than a McDonald's meal, but it was still like really, really expensive. Um, just for me to like have this like I don't know I've no I don't know if you've noticed this in airports this is like the gen- to me except outside of New York me, all New York airports have the yeah. worst <laughs> dining options like Newark is to the me worst. It, yeah just just growing up and also as as the trend now is more towards health mm-hmm. you just grow up with feeling bad about eating fast food that, that that's like in, in, embedded in you but at the same time it's very d- delicious so every now and then you crave mm-hmm. it. And to me, the craving is always much better than the reality. So when, mm. when I, I, I don't know if people are as uh, obsessed as other people, you, you might walk around and be like, okay, I deserve a treat today. I'll go to KFC or Popeyes or Wendy's or whatever. Yeah. And you think about it for a while because first you're like, no, I should eat. Hey, you know, when, Wendy's is an innovator. There's, yeah. There's like, oh, there's a salad place over there. There's, they have brown rice. That's what I should have. Mm. It's like, no, I worked hard. I deserve a treat. And then you go to the fast food place. And then it's so disappointing when it's not as good as the photo. It's not as good as the what you had in your I mind. I mean, maybe this is like a good transition. But like, you know, back to our field recording and sort of getting out of this <laughs> episode. But like being at the McDonald's yesterday, I like I'm going to these places now. Same thing for like Shake Shack. And I don't know, it's something has changed in my life where I'm going as like someone to, like an ethnographer and I'm observing the, mm-hmm. the beautiful engineering. <laughs> and well, that's the fun of field recordings because you're really observant. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. And when I'm traveling to like, whether it's an independent restaurant or something else, I'm not going there with myself in mind. Like, I, I don't know. I let, I would encourage anyone to go to McDonald's and look. So for you, it's like going, it's like a, it's like, a, uh, like excavating an archaeological yeah, site like, and being like, oh, this like, is Why is it like that? Like if you look how they make McFlurries, like Kristen ordered McFlurry yesterday and it came out in like 10 seconds. It's like, whoa. And it's like, and it's great. <laughs> how did they do that? <laughs> but you, you you were not disappointed with the flavor. No, it's fine. I had a quarter pounder, which is like a classic. Bur- so actually, you know, yeah. the thing is they still make their original hamburger, right? Like you can get the, the cheeseburger. It's still the original 1950s hamburger. Yeah, it's funny. They were so tiny back but it's like exactly yeah exactly we you know now it's like supersized with bacon like quarter you yeah. know was a half pounder or whatever yeah i think a lot of people investigate obesity and like is it the sugar is it the grains is it the <laughs> sure. fats no it's the size them <laughs> right yeah yeah sure. like it, i saw a book on on food portion portions throughout history and yeah, if you see the original hamburger, which you can still mm-hmm. buy, now that's a kid's burger. Well, there's a famous story in design circles around. Uh, it's called the milkshake story. Have you ever heard this? It's like, um, I think no. maybe I've mentioned on the no. podcast before, it's Clayton Christensen is this like Harvard product. product yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, he, he talks a lot about measure, the, what do you measure? Because quantity, like 
upping the size is very easy, but it doesn't make the meal better. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he, he, there's this famous uh, conversation around like the the design oh, of the design of the milkshake, yeah, 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 and basically yeah. like this observation that like a fast food chain in America had that when you know they saw a spike in milkshake purchases in the morning and they were like what the hell's going on like why are people buying because they were offering breakfast food but people would buy the milkshake yeah so basically what happened was people were buying milkshakes as a breakfast replacement because it was thick and they could put it in a cup holder on their commute because they would get hungry before like after leaving home yeah and the commute would be an hour and it would the milkshake was so thick it takes an hour to drink yeah the reason it's a product innovation story is because like you observe the behavior right what people wanted was a was food that would sustain them during their commute there was no one else and it, and it was entertaining during the whole commute and and you, you yeah you only have to use one that's hand. right you yeah. don't make a mess yeah because like if you have a banana or something you make a mess what do you do with the peel anyway they like they investigated this and found all this you know that there was nothing in that category and so but it's so funny all these things that are mentioned there's a lot of things that are wrong First of all, having an hour commute is, is That's wrong. That's what I mean. That's yeah. Then the second thing is eating while you're driving. Bad. <laughs> Why is that bad? Then the third thing sh- is eating for an hour. Bad. Then the uh, food is entertainment. Bad. It's like Wait all a these second, things Ralph. are the wrong assumptions. Part, right now, there are people. Well, if anyone makes it to the end of this podcast, I never know. But like right now, there are people listening to our podcast on their commute, and 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 yeah, but that's good because it's us. I know, but they're getting. I mean, maybe they're getting some educational ideas <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so like, what's wrong with sustaining? Like, if we have to drive, and the way cities are organized, mm-hmm. and the lack of an investment in public transportation. No, but sometimes you're fixing the wrong thing, right? Like you're. Fixing, making the commute fun when actually the idea of the commute is is a bad yeah and the only reason commuter, commutes are long is because we you know sold this dream of everyone needs to have a house in a yard yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we can't all live in 200 square feet apartments <laughs> <laughs> and eat just cold broth <laughs> i think the japanese actually like figured out <laughs> <laughs> How to be most efficient at everything? I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. Uh, the, com- the commute thing is. They crazy. Do they it's commute gonna, in Japan? Th- not yeah, probably. No, but, but on a train just, they do, right? Yeah, but it's interesting to me what's going to happen in the future of cities because it doesn't the the interest of living in cities just keeps going up. Yeah, but the idea is with a commute is self-driving cars will take over and it's no longer a commute. It's like you can have a meeting or it's a lounge. Your car. Yeah, is but it, it, there's this funny graphic of like. Uh, a highway with too many cars and whether it's self-driving cars or that, yeah. uh, electric cars or taxis or it, it, the, the highway is just as it, full. You do bring up, this is maybe a good place to close on because like you bring up the car in relationship with food and even in the 1950s, McDonald's was fighting against the drive-through, right? Like, and why were people buying food? We didn't, we didn't start this conversation today with like, why are people, why did people need to eat food in their cars? That's because at that time, yeah. the New Deal had transformed America, and this, especially in California where it was set, right, that movie, um, so that the highway system was built at that time. So, And it was actually exciting. Like It was exciting for people to get into their cars, oh, yeah, and, it was, and they had it, access. There was a lot of space still. There was no traffic. Yeah, and they could get places, and it was like independent, free spirit, right? Um, now, of course, it also yeah. destroyed... like. Uh, but so McDonald's initially... Um, you had to walk up to the counter, which was a revolution because before people would stay in their cars and someone would come to the car and take their mm-hmm. order. But later on, they introduced the drive-through, which is now seventy percent of their revenue. Really? 
And How did so, you know that? Yeah, you just yeah. like you just knew that stat. I looked it up. <laughs> yeah, but because I was looking up, in, I remember two years ago it was big uh, headlines on the news that McDonald's for the first time had uh, their revenue was shrinking instead of mm. growing, and um, they had this problem of like, well, people want more quality, but if the quality goes up, then the waiting lines go up, mm. and if there's a law that if there's more than three or four cars in the drive-through, people will drive to the next restaurant. Okay, it's a law. And all these contradictions, like we can become, we can make gourmet burgers, but that goes against what we yeah. are, so be, because there will be waiting times. Huh. You know, it's funny. The other thing that's uh, dying at McDonald's um, that I was thinking of as a performer was uh, is Ronald McDonald, and um, so Ronald. Yeah, because now clowns are creepy. Ronald McDonald's not doing well. He used to sell like he, the clown has been around almost since the beginning. Of McDonald's. And <laughs> it sounds so post-apocalyptic. <laughs> of like a really old clown is not doing well. There's well been different people that have played Ronald McDonald, but the original one was Bozo the Clown. I don't know if people know that, but that was like the it was a, he was a children's he was like a celebrity star among children. Bozo the Clown. He was the, the clown. clown. There was yeah. only one clown in America. The person who made <laughs> clowns famous in America, Bozo the Clown, which was like it would be like saying Bart Simpson to. Or, or like I don't know who's whoever's famous among kids these days Barney no Kim.com Kim. <laughs> yeah like Drake he was like Drake or something. he's like yeah. Justin Bieber uh, yeah. Selena Gomez um, but anyway it was like oh yeah we can also talk about the Pepsi ad oh God, yeah. <laughs> he's the Kendall Jenner you know, we could do a, a racist clown <laughs> <laughs> well actually he was, he, yeah but now clowns are, are creepy he was creepy though he had like this he would wear a tray of food on his head and he has like hair was in front of his eyes and he instead of a red nose he had a cup on his like a tiny cup on his nose I don't know if you've seen video of the, this crazy yeah it's amazing McDonald's. we should post some some uh, old McDonald's ads in the show notes no I know he, he's just totally insane and I, it would scare it's way scarier than what I ever imagined possible. there was a, a another thing about awards the only award I ever won mm was uh, there was a, a greeting card drawing competition by McDonald's. Oh. And when I was 16, I drew a McDonald's anniversary card. It was the anniversary of McDonald's in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And so it was a happy birthday card with a, a walking milkshake and fries and a, and a cartoon style that I drew. And I, I won some money and a, and a weekend to New York with a friend, uh, to London with a wow. friend. Wow, that's uh, huge. So that was my, f and I remember my grandma being so proud. There was a little <laughs> article in the local news and she she laminated that and kept it on her fridge <laughs> until sh she passed away two years Aww. ago. But that, you know, I did a lot of stuff, like I had my work on Times Square. She's like, yeah, whatever. No, but you won an <laughs> award for McDonald's. No, because at that, that moment <laughs> she knew you were going somewhere. So there's something special yeah, yeah. about this This boy. kid is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's my only uh, official award I ever. Oh won. wow! Well, I'm sure there's many yeah. more to come. <laughs> <laughs> there's Wendy's, there's Chick Fil A. There's okay, so yeah. I guess we should uh, transition to uh, saying goodbye in this week's field recording. What do you think? I, I'm curious what the conversion rate is like. How many people after this episode are like, yeah, I haven't been to McDonald's in a while. Let's let's give it well, a shot. Oh my god, we didn't get anyone sending in an advertisement, including McDonald's, this week for us to read. We didn't read an ad. Yes. Yeah, so this this episode will be sort of an ad. Like, what McDonald's. do I have to do? Maybe we have to do an ad on ad. Uh, I mean, uh, an episode on advertising for me to teach people how to write ads, um, which maybe would be interesting. I know I got a few requests to do, and you know, we mentioned email marketing a couple episodes ago, and actually got. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, somebody requested us doing an episode on email marketing. That's the I think the most communication we get from people is suggestions of topics. I know, we've just blissfully ignored them, but maybe it's time we brought back <laughs> the people's choice. <laughs> we do have some field recordings lined up, so thank you everybody for that, but this week we made our own field recording because we wanted something from McDonald's. That's right. We thought uh, we'll just go for the because nobody, it. nobody uh, in in the by themselves was like, yeah, I should send them a recording of McDonald's without knowing we would talk about. Yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to say something horrible about McDonald's because I've been so supportive this whole episode as a no, as a I leader. Think it's okay. I, I I think you 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 like to differentiate yourself from the crowd. So <laughs> obviously McDonald's in your circle has a bad name. So you, and I think as a efficiency designer you admire the, the company yeah i just admire from a design standpoint and when they yeah because when it comes to efficiency there's there's few org- i think there's few organizations in the world that have brought that many people on the same it's mission. like the dieter rams like of of like or the like i said the bauhaus of food like they really figured out everything yeah, they could take like, away let let's be real we live in the industrial age let's make the most mm-hmm. of it it's a beautiful device <laughs> yeah Okay. It just it it, it like, but you could I, say it's I, also man like a lot about it, but I just think it tastes it's, like shit. Well, like it, I think in your mind, and I think you're right. It's the industrialization or the manufacture of death. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's also what do you settle for? It's like okay, I'm busy. I guess I'll just settle. For, yeah. You know, and you're right to a certain extent. Though, like all good design also has a trade off, which is. Uh, inevitably our death right because you've talked about this before in terms of laziness and anyway we we digress just listen to the suit that's what this soothing sounds yeah. L- one thing in my recording i don't know if you hear it but you'll hear them calling out numbers they call your number i don't know if they do that in america but like number 25 yeah they did it i went on canal street it's, so you 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 i had the choice of ordering on a kiosk an automated touchscreen mm-hmm. or but because i wanted all the sounds of ordering i went up to the counter um, for a personal order and then you pay and you get a receipt and on another area of the counter they will call your number and then you can pick up your bag yeah so you hear a lot of numbers though which i think is beautiful to hear like how fast those numbers are coming you know it's like if i was a manager at that place yes 36 37 (laughs) and you just keep seeing dollars ching 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they go yeah they get up to 100 i think in mine and then back down to one but anyway can you so this is uh, oh yeah this is thank you everybody for yeah. listening and my mcdonald's just so you know is at the corner of queen and uh, spadina in toronto which is like the if you ever you want know. to stalk jeremy you know where <laughs> no, it's a little bit further from my house but it's like you're on canal street these are both vibrant areas of our corresponding cities that's the equivalent of canal street in toronto right next to chinatown but also a shopping area similar okay. to soho so so let's listen to the soothing sounds of the McDonald's counter in Toronto, Canada. Bye. Thanks, Thank you, everybody. Bye.
Thank you. 